coming up on Two-Faced Wrestling Talk. We look back at some big matches from Road to Destruction, as well as Omega's harsh comments about Tanahashi. We talk about a historic title versus title match in NXT. We review Hell in a Cell and discuss Impact Wrestling. Plus, we answer your questions. And we've got it going on with our boy band wrestling crossover segment. So don't go bye-bye-bye. All that is next. WrestlingInc.com brings you Two-Faced Wrestling Talk, the podcast that goes beyond WWE and goes in-depth on ROH, NJPW, Impact, and more. Also featuring fun pop culture and wrestling crossovers, listener Q&As, and extended discussions about wrestling topics past, present, and future. Now, here's your host, Kelsey. Hi, and welcome to Two-Face Wrestling Talk. I'm joined, as usual, by my co-host, Paul. I'm here and uh, ready to go on another big week of uh, wrestling action. A huge weekend last weekend. Yep, we had a pay-per-view and plus some good New Japan stuff that I really enjoyed. But before we get to that, let's remind people that they could find us on social media at Two-FacedPod, T-W-O-F-A-C-E-D-P-O-D. You could also find me at SuperKickingIt, S-U-P-E-R-K-I-C-K-I-N-G-I-T. And usually I'll put out a poll about which wrestling t-shirt I should wear for our podcast. But, you know, this week I didn't. I'm repping the Briscoes, and that's for a special reason, which I'll tell you about in my Closing Out the Show segment. We also want to thank uh, St. Arnold Brewing Company, as well as our friends at MyBookie.ag. And we remind you to use the promo code KICKIT. If you want to uh, open it up an account, get a special bonus and help us out as well and get ready for another big weekend of football action. <laughs> yep, that would be really great and we would really appreciate it. And plus you'd have some fun, maybe win some money. Maybe. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> but now it's time to give our opinions on the latest wrestling shows, news and developments. It's time for Headlines. Kelsey, we're going to start this week with a topic we haven't really talked about in a couple of weeks, uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling, and uh, two really good shows over the weekend. <laughs> I can't wait! <laughs> I'm so excited that we finally get to talk about this again. It's been a while. feels like too long. But uh, we're going to open up with, of course, my favorite boy <laughs> ever, my favorite wrestler, Suzuki! <laughs> so yes, Suzuki had an awesome match against Naito. So many parts that I really enjoyed. I was super into it. The best part about Suzuki matches is I'm always really invested in what happens. And it's because he's my favorite wrestler. And usually that makes the most entertaining matches to watch if you're really invested in the people involved. And I was. Well, and every time Suzuki and Naito get together, it is such a good match because they're so compelling. Because they're so arrogant and cocky. And and Naito is just like, yeah, do what you want. You don't bother me kind of thing. The one twist I thought right off the bat, though, usually it's Suzuki that is dominating and then the tables turn. This time it was Naito that dominated early on, and then Suzuki kind of turned the tables, pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was crazy, speaking of tables, that Suzuki actually went through a table. Super surprised to see that, loved it. I also loved how you said, yeah, Naito started off really fast and more dominant than Suzuki, but even though that was the case, it was awesome to see Suzuki smiling his evil smile, even though Naito was basically brushing, you know, his boot on Suzuki's head. Suzuki didn't care. He was like, whatever. Yep, the evil laugh, and then Suzuki did turn the tables, again, using yeah. the table, as uh, he hits Naito with the table, 
And, you know, it was one of those ones where, uh, all right, did he really make contact? Did he get his hand up? And then you see the hole in the table where Naito's head went through. I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, my God. His head made a dent in the table. It was crazy. And, yeah, he was bleeding. It, that was harsh. Looked dangerous as heck. I loved I loved that spot. Also, I thought it was a cool spot when Suzuki goes to hit Naito with the chair. This happened two times, but the second time, Red Shoes literally wrestled the chair out of his hand, like, and went to the ground. Was like, no, wrapped you're up not like here. like a, like a Jay Grisham, like an octopus, <laughs> or Jonathan Grisham, I should say, wrapped up around the t- chair. It was yeah, like, like you're not getting this chair, Suzuki. You're not using it. I love that nice little touch there. Well, and also the other Red Shoes that Naito. Remember when he... Yes, when Naito was literally clutching for his life onto Red Shoe's shirt, trying not to tap out when Suzuki had him in a submission hold for a very long time. I thought that was so well done. Of course, it ended up Naito won, and I said, no! <laughs> yes, and it's even in her notes. No! So, <laughs> yeah, it uh... says no, flipping Naito. <laughs> but uh, before that finish, the one other thing I want to touch on was the good two-minute stretch where they are smacking the hell out of each other. Oh. And Naito's face is getting puffy. Like, you can see, yeah. you know, the slaps starting to swell up his face. That was just insanely intense. Yeah, that, that's actually a great point. That was one of my favorite parts of the whole match, and that was kind of near the end. But going back a little bit towards the beginning of the match, when Suzuki kept kicking Naito in the chest, Suzuki's kicks sound so loud. They, like, echo. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, oh, my God, his kicks are so intense. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Everything about Suzuki I love. That yeah. was a great match. Great match. Two of our favorites. Uh, we love that. But earlier in that show, your real true favorite, Tai Chi. Oh! <laughs> tai I Chi. I can't stand him. I cannot stand him. Winning, winning the never-open title. But, <laughs> I can't believe that happened. But it is what it is. I guess it worked out story-wise. Some of the crowd was behind him. Some people were like, let's go Tai Chi. Other people were saying, you know, go home Tai Chi. <laughs> well, at least that's what Kevin Kelly said they were saying. Yes. So I believe him. Well, it wasn't without all sorts of Suzuki gun interference. Uh, oh, yeah. They, they, they certainly played it a... Uh, a major role in uh, him winning, which surprisingly is his first ever singles title in New Japan. It's not surprising to me. <laughs> well, I guess because he's been <laughs> around. Not, 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 not. It's not an indicator of his talent. I'm just saying. <laughs> Whatever. I'm just saying. So, uh, Tai Chi wins. Uh, wins the never open weight title, and believe it or not, we may hear his name again later in the show. We uh, may actually. Oh, you too. Yeah. We'll see. Okay. <laughs> well, obviously, we haven't discussed this. So no, we have big not. Big surprise. Uh, two nights earlier, Omega t- took on Ishii. They just had a great match in the G1 uh, where Kenny lost part of his lip during that match. God, it just <laughs> was pouring blood. Pouring. So we get the rematch the other night on this uh, Road to Destruction. I loved this match. I thought it was well done, brutal. I don't think it was my favorite of all their meetups. They've, they've met up quite a few times, including, like you mentioned, the G1 this year. But also, if you go back to when they first went to California, when they were having the tournament to crown the first U.S. champion, that was an awesome match. We referenced this last week where Ishii bites onto the rope and tries not to go through the table. Amazing. I thought that match was probably my favorite meeting out of all of these meetups they've had. But this one was good. I don't want to undersell it and say it wasn't good because it was great. Yeah, and uh, look, we think of Ishii as a power guy, right? Like Mm -hmm. strength and brutality. But 
he hits a Hurricane Rana off the top rope on Kenny Omega, which was unbelievable. That was very impressive, and he was agile by yeah, doing that. Yeah, very much so. Then he hits Kenny with his own V-trigger, and uh, kind of looked like Ishii was going to win, but you know, the back of your mind, you know, he's not going to win with Kenny's move. Well, yeah, and I figured it was time that Omega actually won because a couple of times Ishii had won when they, especially in that last meetup that they just had. So I figured it was Omega, of course. I, Although I, the crowd kind of wanted Ishii to win. I, yeah, I think so. I think so. It, it, as popular as Kenny is, and we're going to talk a little more about Kenny here in a second. Uh, you know, the crowd does kind of like to see him get upset sometimes there, I've noticed. Well, also, I think everyone really respects Ishii, and they know how hard he works and how he always delivers a great match. In fact, if you go back to some of our first podcast episodes that you and I have done, um, we talked a lot about how he was one of the best wrestlers ever, mm-hmm. super underrated, not in New Japan circles, but like in outer circles. Like, people don't mention him all the time in their favorite wrestlers list, but he should be mentioned more because... I can't remember an Ishii match that I didn't like. One other thing we didn't even talk about. How about the crazy Kenny spot where he comes off the top rope, over the railing, into the stomp onto uh, yeah, Ishii? Yeah, he literally <laughs> flew over the railing. I was so scared because that's actually the most scary move that Kenny does to me personally because I always think he's going to like twist his ankle or like slip wrong onto the table. And usually he doesn't like jump from the ring to the table that far away. This was far. So he could have hurt himself even easier this time. That move always freaks me out every single time. It never fails to, like, make me scream. <laughs> I, I wrote it down during this match, but it's apropos because we talked about it during Suzuki and Naito. Just a, a little funny observation I've had. Uh, you know in WWE, the Spanish announce table is always the first one to get broken? Yes. I'm noticing more and more in New Japan because the English commentary is the outside language, right? Right. Theirs is the table that is always targeted. <laughs> so but, it's whatever is not the prominent yeah, language. Because Kenny goes through uh, Ishii. That was their table. Right. And then they, the Suzuki Naito was using the English commentary table, too. And I love how, like, everyone was asking Kevin Kelly, like, are we still on? <laughs> are we still on right now? What happened? And Kevin Kelly's always so appalled that they destroy his table and... You are so anti-Kevin Kelly. He's the best. He's very good. He's not the best. He's great at stats and reminding people of the history. He's like the professor. Yeah, he's the professor. I love that about him. Yeah, no, that's great. He's he's good for that, for sure. So overall, before we move on to Omega's comments, the matches from these Road to Destruction shows, what do you think overall? So good. So good. I mean, look, both these shows were heavy eight-man tag matches and six-man tags and things like that. So it wasn't a real prominent show in that regard, but it did set up some stuff. And uh, I thought chaos, good. Some, some drama with chaos. Yeah. That's being set up too. So even though some people might skip the tag matches, and we don't always watch them either, the cool thing about New Japan that I love is that even in those multi-man tag matches, they try to put in story when they can. And that's awesome. It usually builds to singles matches that are upcoming you know, in the following weeks or days sometimes. I love that because it's not just wasted tag matches. It has some meaning at least. Well, and that leads us to uh, one of the key characters in one of the, in a couple of those nights was uh, Yoshihashi and Tanahashi and Tanahashi trying to get Yoshihashi over. We're going to talk more about that in our question and answer segment. But Tanahashi's got a little something going on with Kenny Omega, doesn't he? 
he does. And not only with Kenny Omega, with obviously Okada as well. I love all that drama unfolding. But yeah, Omega had some harsh words for Tanahashi. It all started with Tanahashi kind of criticizing Kenny's matches, saying that, yeah, there's no story to them. There's no dramatic arc to his matches. All that matters is the last five minutes. It's all, you know, that you need to watch of an Omega match. Omega, you know, struck struck back and said some really really intense things about Tanahashi saying that his matches are boring as F and all this other stuff basically insulting his age his wrestling style his hair <laughs> saying that he had hair plugs that you know he had to wow. get hair plugs in, inserted it's hair Ken- extensions yeah and, not and Kenny may not be one to talk about that remember that one time he had those weird looking that was odd <laughs> yeah I forgot about that actually. yeah so <laughs> I don't know, about a year and a half ago, yeah, where he had that weird thing going on with his hair. And that was for, like, a big match, too. I hated that hairdo. Yeah, I didn't like that at all. Look, I'm going to, maybe this is controversial. I'm kind of with Kenny Omega. I like Tanahashi's personality. We know the fans love him and all that, but his matches aren't the most exciting to me. Uh, To me, uh, if you're you're putting Kenny Omega and Tanahashi and saying, you got to choose one, there's no doubt I'm taking Kenny Omega. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of people feel like you do in a way. And in fact, my good friends, the New Age Insiders, they have also said to me, like, you know, why some people seem upset about Tanahashi winning the G1 is because, especially American fans, they think of him as like the Hulk Hogan of New Japan. Like, you know, the old throwback where like oh if we need somebody to headline it'll be him and it's because he's over but give Tanahashi his props that's for a reason he's always delivered he carried the company from the brink of not well not succeeding (laughs) and basically failure Mm -hmm. to what we see now he was a big big part of the resurgence but so was Nakamura I don't want to downplay his role in it too but you know I love Tanahashi but again he has a very certain particular style. He does have a more mat-based type of style. and uh, But you could argue so does Okada. But to me, I even like Okada a little bit better in terms of personal preference. But I'm not bashing Tanahashi because I do love him. I think he's great. He obviously has charisma. I love when he does air guitar. Yeah. We'll talk more about that later as well. well. And look, the fans love, you know, they throw him the towel. Everybody wants him to wipe his face on the towel. He's a legend. And he's good. I'm not saying, I'm not going to go as far as great. I'm going to say he's good. I think he's great. He's one of the best of all time there. <laughs> he's a legend, and he's good. Yes. I'm not I'm not going great. <laughs> oh, well, okay, we can agree to disagree on that. And if you guys don't agree, that's okay, too. Let us know your thoughts by tweeting us at TwoFacedPod. We'd love to hear your thoughts about whether or not you think Tanahashi's the best, why or why not, you know? It's great to hear other people's opinions. Just be respectful of each other, and it's okay to agree to disagree. Again, I'm not saying he's not good. He's very good. Uh, like, you know, the, the main event of the G1 was a great match. I it just, was. I love that match. I'm just saying, if you're gonna, if you're giving me a list of New Japan guys, he probably doesn't even crack my top three. He doesn't crack my top three either. And in fact, you know, I think he's slowing down a little bit too. Well, and that's age, fine too. Obvious, yeah, obviously. But you could say Suzuki's old and <laughs> he's certainly not slowing he's down. He's not slowing down at all. <laughs> He's, he's one of the few wrestlers that's older than me, so. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, overall, great shows. Poignant comments by Omega, but really entertaining. If you want to see more of his comments, go to WrestlingInc.com. They've got a great article, which basically transcribes some of his comments. So you could actually see everything he said. Good stuff. And now let's uh, move on to uh, stateside, and we'll start with uh, Impact on Thursday night. 
So, yeah, the Austin Aries main event was okay, but nothing much really happened there. So I think the best match of the show was Swan and Seidel versus the Lucha Brothers. That was a good match. What do you think? Yeah, well, I mean, we've said it before on the show. I love Phoenix. He is so incredible. And uh, the move he, he made in the corner where he spins and kicks on Swan and the announcers didn't even recognize it. And it was just so smooth. He's awesome. Uh, the Pentagon package pile driver on Seidel on the apron was great. Phoenix finishes on Swan. Uh, just a really entertaining match. Um, and then what happened at the end was uh, your guys. My boys, OVE comes in. They show up. You know, Sammy Callahan's like my favorite thing ever in Impact right now. So I don't know. I'm a fan of anything he's involved in. And then Brian Cage also showed up to even the odds. Yep. Looking forward to that pay-per-view with the uh, six-man tag match. Uh, not a great crowd in Mexico for that, but a great crowd at NXT for that historic match between Ricochet and Pete Dunne, title versus title. Yeah, the crowd was definitely into it. And, um, you know, Nigel had some good moments on commentary he noted that the chance for Ricochet and then Pete Dunne's bruiserweight chant, they were kind of melding together. That was pretty cool. That was a nice observation. The match itself was pretty good. Wish we would have had a definitive finish, but, you know, it is what it is. Why would they combine and have one person hold their two, you know, main mid-card titles that are very important for the brand? Well, speaking of melding together, I had to laugh. There was one point where Morrow is screaming so much you couldn't even make out what he was saying. He was just melding words together. It was uh, He was so excited. I thought the match was interesting and great psychology and great selling that Pete Dunne was working on Ricochet's left hand, left wrist, and they sold that throughout the whole match, and it looked like it was going to set up for the finish, but as you mentioned, we didn't get a definitive finish because the Undisputed Era came out. Yeah, and then... Also, War Raiders showed up as well. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of them, and obviously that's furthering the whole Undisputed Era and uh, War Raiders match that's going to eventually happen, I'm sure. So th that's interesting, but again, you know, it just felt like there was something left. Like, we want to see something definitive, because it was so good, you know, um, but who's the better man? I don't know, I guess we'll never find out, unless they're setting up a future matchup between them. Well, Kelsey, that is the week in Impact and in NXT and a historic title for title there. But let's uh, shift our attention to Sunday night. Helena Cell, overall thoughts on the pay-per-view? I actually am very surprised. I thought it was way better than I thought it would be. I was excited, but I had my reservations, like I always do with the WWE pay-per-view. <laughs> I think it delivered. And um, it delivered quick, too, because right off the bat, with Hardy and Orton, I loved that match. So I knew, well, this might be actually a good pay-per-view. So yeah, I'm I'm pleasantly surprised, and I liked it. Yeah, I was kind of surprised they started with that match, especially the way, the direction that match went, because then it was setting a high bar for the rest of the yeah. show. And uh, really, we'll get to the details of that in a second, but I thought from top to bottom, the show was really... Good. Like, all the matches were good to me. The only one that I was like, eh, was uh, The Miz and Maurice against uh, Daniel and Brie. Yeah, it's the only one that I really wasn't too fond of either. I also thought that the pay-per-view kind of 
was well paced and also had good positioning of matches except i didn't like seeing the aj joe match so early i'd like that to be later i'm kind of sick of them not being anywhere close to the main event because aj is so good and samoa joe and his program together is high caliber and like i like how you said that your least favorite match was kind of the brie bella and maurice thing let's talk about the reaction to that match versus the reaction of the audience to aj joe yeah i i, I noted it uh, right away that the crowd was actually more into the, the daniel bryan brie bella ms maurice match than they were into the AJ Samoa Joe. And to me, that kind of spoke volumes about some the, the WWE at, fan attitude, maybe because of Total Divas, maybe because there's more kids there. I don't, I, whatever it was to have that great match right before that in AJ and Samoa Joe, and it didn't have near the crowd uh, excitement as the match after it, uh, the, the mixed tag. It's, it's odd, but I mean, maybe it has to do with Daniel Bryan being involved, and we know how over right, he, he is. But at the same time, it's puzzling to me. But like you said, it says a lot about the WWE crowd and who makes up that crowd. A lot of casuals. What we, what we call casuals, right. meaning like they don't watch other promotions. Some women fans have been turned on to WWE through Total Divas. So you have them, that's kind of like a bigger, newer fan base who are feel are more vocal, who would scream more for that match versus the AJ Joe match. So I think that plays a big part in the whole thing too. Well, let's go back to the start of that show, the Orton, Jeff Hardy, and that was so good. I am not exaggerating. Paul <laughs> will tell you, I literally squealed well, squirmed and screamed at the ear-twisting thing. I was freaked out. I covered my eyes. And even you kind of almost covered your eyes when he was twisting his earlobe with that screwdriver. You thought he had a fake ear on. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I really was starting to wonder if maybe they attached some sort of prosthetic clay or something because it was so, <laughs> so disgusting. It but, was. Um, Orton bumped a lot more than he usually does. Well, we talked about that. Yeah. You know, Maybe it's him being a heel. Maybe him being really into this storyline. But you said it's the most engaged he's been. In a long time. I loved seeing him really go all out. I mean, he took a lot of brutal punishment. Like, people were talking a lot about what Jeff Hardy did by falling off the top of the cage into the table. But even more so, that gash in Randy Orton's leg kept going. The brutal slapping of his back with that belt. Mm -hmm. He had you know, bleeding on his back and belt marks. They were really prominent. I haven't seen that in a long, long time. And I was gr glad to see that kind of brutality in a WWE ring really kind of harkened back to when Hell in a Cell was a special thing and when you expected blood in a Hell in a Cell match. So to me, it was a great callback, and I'm glad they let him do, you know, something more brutal. Well, let's go to the other Hell in a Cell match. We'll bookend the show. Okay. And, and the way it ended, and... And that was Braun versus Roman. I thought this was a very good match, but one thing I pointed out, and it, until, until the end, really, of both matches, the hell in the cell itself, the cell really wasn't involved. It was almost, as you said, more like no, no, no DQ matches or an extreme rules type of match. Yeah, I thought it was odd because I would have <clears> liked to have seen the cage used more between them. 
like the actual people in the match but then we've got other participants coming in and they use the cell which obviously that's why the whole thing was a cell right. match i wanted to see braun do something crazy yeah that's i wanted what I was to see for. him dive into a table from like a really high up because he's so big right it would have been kind of like it would make people gasp it would have been death defying i think it would have been more special than you know somebody smaller like a shame man who usually jumps off the top or even a mcfoley like braun's huge that would have been crazy Instead, uh, you had Rollins and uh, Ambrose and Ziggler and McIntyre. They're fighting on top of the cage, which that was all fine. Yeah, let's talk but, about that. But the Rollins-Ziggler, yeah, neither of us really liked. That's a pet peeve of ours because we've said this, and I've even said this, like, so I'm not just being critical of WWE. Mm-hmm. If you remember back to when Kenny Omega faced Chris Jericho, the one spot I didn't like, and this is in New Japan, the one spot I didn't like in that match was when Jericho was dangling, there was a table behind him, and he looked back and then fell into the table. Same type of thing happening in this match where, you know, Rollins, they look back. Twice. Yeah, and then even that. And then even on the last thing where they both smashed each other's heads in, there was kind of a delay before they fell back. I mean, look, I, I, I give them all the credit for doing the spot. You know, and going through the table. Just don't but, do the spot if you have to look back. Right. I say just eliminate the spot. I'd rather not see the spot if they have to look back. The looking back, I don't know why. It's something personal, I guess. It's a personal preference. If you guys disagree, that's fine. But when you have to look back at where you're falling, I just don't like that. Um, there's a lot of things in wrestling I can suspend my disbelief on, including comedy wrestling, which there's some things that I like that other people like just scoff at. But this is something, for some reason, it bothers me. And I don't know why. Uh, fast forward to the end of this match. Well, one thing I wanted to mention earlier, too. And WWE kind of glo- glossed over it. They didn't show a replay. I think Mick Foley at one point on that on the pin, I think he actually counted three. I think he hit the third time and then quickly went, no, two. But I think, yeah. I think he actually counted to three. But let's go to the ending. Huge surprise. Brock Lesnar appears. Crowd loved it. You know, even though they were mixed on him in his last match because because of all the extenuating circumstances. Everybody loved the surprise, and him kicking in the gate was a great visual. I love the surprise, too, but I know that online and, you know, in the masses, not everyone agrees with that. And that's because, you know, people were happy to see Brock go because they thought he was a lazy champion, and now he's kind of inserted back in. But uh, obviously a lot of this has to do with these overseas pay-per-views where he's going to be involved, probably because there's big money involved. So, of course, he's going to come back into the mix for that. But you know what? I like it, personally, and you said you liked it. And it's because, you know, it added some excitement. And at the end of the day, it sucks that Brock's not around all the time, but he's an exciting guy to watch. And he's somebody that kind of calls attention to what he's doing. You're interested. Whether or not you like, you know, the politics behind everything, you're interested in what he's doing because he's kind of like a force. And he's a very physical guy and just, I don't know, I love seeing him back. Well, let's uh, talk about the match of the night. We talked about it a little bit at the beginning just because of the placement of it. But Samoa Joe and AJ and uh, just another great match. The, the Samoa Joe suicide dive through the ropes where he reaches and almost is delivering a I mock like, AJ phenomenal forearm. I think he on, was. Yeah. I think it was almost like he was doing AJ's move just to spite him. Right. Yeah, I thought that was really he's, good. If you think about the whole story of the match, he's trying to replace AJ in his family. So why not use AJ's moves in the ring against him? He's trying to basically become AJ family-wise. So I think that was almost like 
maybe I'm kind of going too deep into it, but I think it's kind of a cool analogy. He's almost copying AJ's moves, just like he's trying to be AJ yeah. in his home life. I like that. I like that a lot. That's a good good commentary. Uh, I loved Styles showing his strength with that rack bomb on Samoa Joe, and then the brutality of the Samoa Joe uh, clothesline where he busts open AJ. Uh, and it was all good, and they came down to the end. Kukina clutch on. Did AJ tap before the pin? You know, so obviously there's going to be more to this story, right? And they they set that up, and 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 that was the one maybe thing. I get why they're doing it, but this pay per view was almost a lot of setting up for these two overseas shows. That was the one negative I would say because you know it would have been nice to have some things that seemed like definitive versus oh let's just keep setting things you know up and making things set up and put in the wings for another pay-per-view why can't we just have some decisive stuff but the matches themselves were pretty decent and the stories themselves we had some nice surprises so i'm not really complaining too much uh finally the two women's matches becky lynch wins the belt over charlotte really good match but the ending the roll-up was kind of clunky wasn't a big fan of very that. clunky <laughs> i didn't like that at all and then the Ron- sorry and then uh ronda rousey and alexa bliss you know they set it up on raw where bliss hurt the ribs of Rousey, and so they made her seem a little vulnerable. And I like how you remember that, and that doesn't hinder your enjoyment of the match. A lot of people online complaining, why didn't Ronda just destroy Bliss, and it was like a two-minute squash match? Think about that for a second. Why would they do that? Alexa has been dominant on the roster for a long time not only like on one brand but on both brands so why would you kind of demean everything she's done in two minutes i'm not saying that it's not going to happen eventually because you know she's cheated to win a lot of times it's not just like from her physical prowess or anything but what i'm saying it makes sense story-wise don't just destroy alexa and kill off that rivalry when alexa is one of your most dominant women in the division why totally throw away that story that has more to tell, you know? And like you said, they, they kind of teed up the whole thing by having Rousey hurt her ribs, quote, on Raw. So I think it all made sense when you realize that. And a lot of people are complaining about it, saying like, oh, no, it's terrible. I don't mind it at all. Yeah, I don't mind it either. And look, I, I expect Ronda Rousey to carry the belt all the way to WrestleMania. And in that case, they they need to show that she can have these longer matches. Right. And what they did with Alexa was one of the only ways they could do that. She's still kind of green in the ring. We're talking about Rousey being right. green. So there had to be some kind of way that they could have a longer match with it making sense. And that was the perfect way to do so. I thought so. And, and look, she can beat everybody, it, but not everybody's got to be a squash match, you know? Right, exactly. You know, she should be, you know, even, you know, even in his heyday when Hulk Hogan you knew was going to win every match. He would be tested even by like, you know, this up and coming guy or whatever. So you you don't have to, they can win, but you can have them tested a little bit. So I have no problem. Like Ric Flair, one of the greatest of all times, you know, he made his career on doing stuff like that. He would always make like the contenders shine. And I'm not saying that Alexa shine. I'm saying that you can still be an amazing champion and like one of the best champions ever and not just have a two minute squash match. Ric Flair would have these long epic matches, but still wind up. The winner. Same thing here. Ronda still won. Didn't hurt her. Uh, scale of 1 to 10, what are you giving that pay-per-view? That's hard. I didn't really think about a number rating. Just because we watch so many great in-the-ring stuff, even though I'm highly 
you know, positive about this show and I've been praising it, I can't give it like very high of a rating just because of what we've seen this year in terms of competition with other promotions. Like All In. I mean, All In was amazing. <laughs> so I guess 6.5 or 7. For WWE, if we're just talking WWE, maybe an 8. But if we're comparing it with other stuff, 6.5, 7. Which is high for me, for WWE. Okay, I, I guess using that scale, I'll say by WWE standards, I'll say it was an 8.5. By other standards, I'll say it was a 7.5. Okay, that? that sounds good to me. Um, quick notes, otherwise, uh, more of the promotions of these... Uh, Overseas shows, Baron Corbin announces the triple threat now. Strowman, Roman, and Lesnar. (laughs) Strowman, Roman, tongue twister. (laughs) And uh, I love Strowman's reaction to that. He goes, that sucks. I think you suck. And (laughs) you suck. And then later he says again that uh, Corbin sucks again. Yeah, so that was good stuff. But that'll be a fun triple threat. I think, like you said, Lesnar's... Coming back for the payday, he probably won't win the belt there. No, and rightfully threat. so. We but, don't need him as the but, champion again. No, but it's it'll be great to have him in that triple threat. I think it'll mix it up, but I'm honestly, I want to see a one-on-one match between Braun and, and Brock. So to me, yeah, the triple threat match is better with Brock being in it, but what I really want to see is not triple threat. It's eventually I'd love to see a one-on-one. I'm dying for that. Uh, only other uh, note I wrote down of note uh, was uh, the Riot Squad coming out and attacking Ronda Rousey. I thought Ruby Riot's spear on Rousey was really good. We technique. talked about that <laughs> being better than Charlotte's spear, actually. Yeah. She, that was a beautiful spear. Really beautiful. Uh, quickly on SmackDown, uh, Marie saying that this is her last time on SmackDown, or they announced that on, on, uh, on the opening segment. And the only other thing I wanted to talk about was... Uh, Cien Almas getting that great match against AJ. I think he's one of the few that you can say has been a success in his promotion because they're putting him on TV in these big matches, but you can counter it by saying... Yeah, but he's still not at the level that he was in NXT. Mm -hmm. Because NXT, especially with his manager, Zelina Vegas, she made him like so much greater than he even was before. And he had some amazing matches... And I just don't think he's at that level. I did think that the AJ match was amazing, but I think his place on the roster isn't as high. And that's what I see is the difference. I'm hoping it will get to be the same level, but I don't think it will just because of how people are booked on the main roster versus in NXT. So, um, you know, that was a lot of WWE talk, and it's kind of weird. It's almost like, are we in Bizarro World? <laughs> I'm being super positive. I know. But let's change gears to something that I'm always positive about, almost always, and that's Ring of Honor. And, you know, I haven't been really watching too much of their TV lately, but I'm going to start catching up because there's some events I'm really excited about. And Two-Faced Wrestling Talk, man, we have an exciting month coming up, going to a ton of events, like including the Ring of Honor TV tapings in Las Vegas. I'm so excited. And then the night before that is the Death Before Dishonor pay-per-view, also in Vegas. Unfortunately, not going to that. But still excited for the tapings. At the pay-per-view, though, we're going to see Will Ospreay versus Jay Lethal. That should be a flippin' amazing match. I'm so excited. Yep. We'll uh, talk about that more next week as we look forward to that big pay-per-view on Ring of Honor. And then, of course, New Japan as well. Yeah, I'm also going to be at New Japan Fighting Spirit Unleashed, and that's in California in Long Beach again. That should be amazing. Cody Rhodes against Juice Robinson. So looking forward to that. Bullet Club storylines developing. 
Bullet Club goes against Firing Squad, the Bucks against Tamatonga and Tongaloa. Can't wait to see that. I know it's going to be awesome. And then some other great matches lined up too, like Skrull versus Osprey. We talked about that a few weeks ago, how we know that's going to deliver because their previous match was amazing and stole the whole show on the pay-per-view it was on a few months ago. So we'll look forward to those uh, shows next week. And uh, we look forward to talking more about the Firing Squad in our question and answer segment. Maybe some new members coming aboard for Firing Squad. We'll debate that. But when we come back, it's time for boy band talk. Bye, bye, bye. See you in a few minutes. I'll be lip syncing the whole segment. St. <laughs> Arnold Brewing Company, located in Houston, is Texas' oldest craft brewery. Their goal is to brew world-class beers and deliver them to their customers as fresh as possible, making them the best beers in Texas and Louisiana. Their customers are beer lovers, people that appreciate great, full-flavored beers. So whether you're enjoying an art car IPA or smooth-drinking lawnmower, look for St. Arnold beers throughout Louisiana and Texas. Welcome back to Two-Face Wrestling Talk, and now it's time for my favorite segment, the Pop and Wrestling Connection, where we mix pop culture with wrestling. Now it's time for this week's segment topic, and man, am I excited. (laughs) It's all about boy bands and how does that work with wrestling. Well, the question I posed was, which five wrestlers would you choose to be in a boy band and why? Most creative answers will read, of course. And then I said, everybody, don't go tearing up my heart. Submit your answers and that will make you larger than life. It'll be fun. This I promise you because I want it that way. Mbop. So yeah, I did a whole little thing there. And before we get into everyone's answers, let me just say, oh, you grapplers, can't you see, can't you see how wrestling's affecting the reality? Every time they're pinned, you can count to three, and that makes you king of the ring. <laughs> so stupid. Please excuse my bad singing. That was creative. That was good. I always have something creative up my sleeve. You know me. So let's get to uh, some of the uh, listener responses, and this is from BB and BS podcast, three count, Billy and Chuck. Simple, but (laughs) it works. Yes, it does. Then we have Chibs at Chibi Halloween. I'm going to cheat here and say three count and add the Miz for that extra amount of star power. Plus, every boy group needs that one bad boy member. (laughs) And Finn Balor, so you can get that prepubescent teen girl demographic on board that wants (laughs) that clean cut dreamy guy with the washboard abs. (laughs) Uh, our next one is from at Constable Cass, and she says, uh, Corey Graves, tatted bad boy, but not unthreatening. <laughs> Miz, breakout star. Xavier Woods, nerdy smart one. Shinsuke Nakamura, eccentric and best dancer. And Tyler Breeze, popular pretty one, obviously. That's my favorite one so far. Great answer. Love your answer so much. All right, and then we've got Good Guy Dave. He says the leader of my five-member boy band would be Hiroshi Tanahashi. That makes perfect sense because of the air guitar, obviously. Even though he's more of a rock and roll kind of guy, he's such a pretty boy that he could work so well as the face of a boy band. 
The second member would be Tyler Breeze because he already likes to strut his stuff. He feels like a perfect choice. The next two are members of The Shield, Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose. Seth is the heartthrob of the group and Dean would be the bad boy. My final member would be Elias as the older, more serious guy, but can play heartfelt music on his guitar. See, Elias wouldn't fit because he's an actual musician, so... Shut up. There, there's musicians in boy bands sometimes. I know. I know. I just like to poke the bear a little bit. This one from at the Jaded Jobbers. Great question. I'd go with Dolph Ziggler, The Miz, Elias, Finn Balor, and The Velveteen Dream. Great, great answers. I love those. Very creative. Then we go to Jeff Manning at J. Mel's 1323. Aiden English, Chris Jericho, John Cena, Shinsuke Nakamura, Big E. Langston. English and Jericho have the pipes. Cena spits a verse. Nakamura for the choreography. And Big E for the grand finale splits. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Our next one is from at official PJ North. I'm picking Shawn Michaels, leader, previous band experience, basically the JT of wrestling. (laughs) Ziggler, the JC of the group. DDP somehow was much older than the rest of the band, but still a badass, Joey Fatone. Uh, Breeze, the Lance Bass, and Chris Harris, the Kirkpatrick of the band. Perfect, perfect choices make perfect sense. If you're an NSYNC lover like me, that answer is great. (laughs) I know NSYNC. All right, then we have got Rad Zero at Rad Zero eighty three. He said he's got the easy answer: three count and two cool. Easy enough. Next one is from at Coach Coy seventy eight. AJ and Finn because of their charm, not voice, obviously. We need a decent singer, so of course Aiden English. Our front man would be, of course, Marty Skrull because he is dripping with singing talent. <laughs> yeah, of course. I love that. And he's got a second part, his last one. And lastly the, would be the backbone and the base of our group, Braun Strowman. He would probably just yell Braun most of the time. But it, if need be, he could definitely belt out some sick tunes. Braun! <laughs> yeah, instead of bye-bye-bye. Braun, Braun, Braun! <laughs> so ridiculous. And you see him in the back of a boy band? <laughs> <laughs> Ain't no lie, baby. Braun, Braun, Braun! Oh, God. That's terrible. Oh, my God. And at the underscore 31 says, you should include the B team. Axel is the son of a musical legend. Yep, I like that. So the good answers there. And uh, some people kind of stole some of mine. I thought I had a couple that were going to be off the radar a really? little bit. Yeah, yeah. Tell me. Well, you go first. I, I mean, you think boy bands, you think pretty boys. And who's better than Prince Pretty? Tyler Breeze. So I was, I was kind of thinking that might be off the, the radar a little bit. Nope. So I'm going to go with him, and I'm going to go with his buddy, because you got to have people who can dance and are pretty, so Fandango. I guess that makes sense. No one picked him. <laughs> no. Uh, somebody picked Velveteen Dream. That was going to be one of mine. That's a great pick. Now, you've got to have good dancers in boy bands, right? You do. But this is 2018. It's all about the age of women, right? So we're going to put a woman in the boy band. Oh, wow. Naomi. Because she can really dance. I like that pick. That's unique, Paul. No one said something like <laughs> and, that. Of course, since we know the boy bands, especially when they're live, are all about lip syncing, who's a better lip syncer than Tai Chi? No! <laughs> so he's Tai the Chi worst. has got to be in the band because he's all about bad lip syncing. Tai Chi comes in on mine too, and this is what we were teasing earlier. Yeah. All right, so um, I've. Yeah, which I'm, I'm thoroughly disappointed in this because I thought I was going to blow you away with that one. Well, <laughs> you blew me away that you included him. 
I, you don't know how I used them yet. Okay. Just wait, just wait. You'll see. All right, so I kind of have an extensive answer here. I chose my version of Backstreet Boys and my version of NSYNC because there was a whole head-to-head war, and we'll actually talk more about the boy band battle of the boy bands later, but war. we'll see. Yeah, war. It's like the Bloods and the Crips. I mean, <laughs> it was brutal. Take it to the streets, like OGs <laughs> versus LAX. That's right. <laughs> the streets are watching, but no, the fangirls are watching That's for, for sure. this boy band thing. All right, so Backstreet Boys, I'm going to start with them. So for my heartthrob slash Nick Carter, Osprey, because he can dance, he's got wicked awesome moves, he's blonde, like Nick Carter, basically he's the pretty boy of the whole wrestling boy band. Then my bad boy, which would be in the role of AJ from the Backstreet Boys, Tama Tonga. Not only is he a bad boy, quote, he's got sweet moves when he comes down to the ring doing that weird hand thing, boom. He's got just such a swag and such an ease about the way he moves. I think he'd be awesome in choreographed numbers, but really cool when he was just, you know, with the mic walking around the stage, you know, basically shaking girls' hands. I think he'd do that really well, too. Um, He doesn't give an F, but everyone loves him anyway. (laughs) Um, Then we've got the underrated member, Howie, which would be Dalton Castle. He's got uh, a flair. He's got manservants behind the scenes (laughs) to help him out and uh i don't know he's a really intricate part of the band an important part of the band but no one ever thinks so so i think he's a great past roh champion that no one gives him enough credit that's why i'm including him in my band all right then we've got chris jericho he is the mature member the glue that holds the band together he's in the role of kevin from the backstreet boys of course and you know he could play instruments as well The band wouldn't be the same without him. And then finally, as the leader of the band in a way, this is the role of Brian, who's basically the lead vocalist of the band Backstreet Boys. We've got Matt Hardy. He would be the wonderful front man, and he's got experience, uniqueness, and charisma. Seems like a weird pick, but trust me, it would work. All right, and now? And outrageous outfits, which would go with 90s boy bands perfectly. So now let's get your in sync. (laughs) Here's my in sync. Um... So first, we've got the heartthrob, Justin Timberlake, of the band. That would be Kenny Omega. Obviously, he's the most popular member. He's talented, and his talent can't be denied. And he is successful in a number of different ways, just like JT. He could act. He could flip in dance. He can sing. Kenny Omega is kind of like that triple threat as well, because he can be great on the ring, he's great at promos, and he's just awesome in general. Everyone likes him, his personality, and his storytelling. Then, this is going to seem weird, but the second in command, the second kind of tier vocalist just under JT, was always JC. And my JC would be Trent Beretta. He's skilled and talented, but he's never the lead vocalist. He's always second. So Trent's really awesome. He's kind of underrated in the ring, But once you sit down and actually watch him, you realize just how good he is. So that's why he's the perfect JC. Um, Then we've got, because Beretta's in the band, you can't have Beretta without his best friend, Chucky T. And Chucky T plays the goofy one, kind of like also the shy one, even though Chucky T's not shy. But he's going to be in the role of Lance Bass. So if you, like I said, you've got Trent, you need Chuck. uh, Underrated, but highly entertaining. Then the goofball, the fun one. And also the weird one, Joey Fatone, because he also has red hair, Hiromu Takahashi. (laughs) Basically, I picked him because of the red hair, but also super talented. And he's also very weird, and he makes people laugh. Um, Then, finally, because he's got weird hair as well, 
Chris Kirkpatrick had weird hair at the beginning of NSYNC. He had this weird, like, dreadlock, white and black dreadlocks. Vinny Marcellia, because he's got <laughs> weird ha- hair, and he's zany and crazy, just like Chris. So, and how does Tai Chi fit into this? Well, Tai Chi tried out to be in both of these versions of the wrestling boy bands, and he got denied. You know, he thought that he could do well, but basically once they saw his terrible lip syncing, they said, go home, Tai Chi. Then Tai Chi tried to say, okay, but watch, I got this trick up my sleeve. He ripped off his tights to show his trunks, thinking that would impress them, and they were, like, disgusted and hated it and said, go home, you didn't make the band. You didn't make the cut. That's my boy bands. Wow. I think my answers are pretty darn good. I think they are very good. They are very good. And uh, so to take it a step further, our friends at Take the Bump Pod uh, asked us to take this question even deeper, keeping with the boy band theme, and uh, appropriately, there's a big UG in there. Uh, in 97, <laughs> we all know the biggest rivalry in boy bands was NSYNC and the Backstreet Boys, what you're telling me. And in, <laughs> and in wrestling, it was WCW versus WWF. So put together a five versus five dream match, one side representing NSYNC and one side being the Backstreet Boys. And of WWE. course, in shocking form kelsey did lots of research on this question instead of her actual job at work (laughs) yeah i know all day i was like who am i gonna pick (laughs) (laughs) terrible and this is again wcw versus wwf nsync versus backstreet so for my nsync this was representing the wwf side of things now the timing's a little weird because i kind of combined it wasn't just from 97 it was from kind of just basically the attitude era type of time frame so bear with me so, we've got Stone Cold as Justin Timberlake, obviously. The lasting impression, one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, most popular ever. It had to be Justin Timberlake, Stone Cold. But, I'm going to counter before you go even farther. Couldn't he be on the WCW side as one of the California Blondes? Because he was a pretty yes, boy. and I've got more on that later. I do have one of the Hollywood Blondes, but it's not Stone Cold. Hollywood Blondes, yeah. For my WCW side. <laughs> okay. So, we'll see. We'll get all to right. that. So do you have any idea who would you... No, no, you no. Don't continue, answer all of them. continue. That just came to my mind as you read that. Okay, okay. <laughs> I so, haven't seen or heard her answers on any of these yet. So, JC, obviously we talked about earlier, the second in command, Triple H. Somebody who really didn't go into prominence later in life. JC became more of a producer. That makes perfect sense. Triple H, great in the ring, great in the band, if it was JC, but now has a backstage role. So... But he's still good and can still sing if he wants to. He can still wrestle if he wants to. Same thing. Then we've got Joey Fatone, The Rock, because of the acting. Joey Fatone got into entertainment. The Rock's gotten into entertainment. Both kind of goofy, silly, corny actors. (laughs) So it fits perfectly. Then we've got Lance Bass. I would say that's Kurt Angle. And that's because, you know, he's an important part of the band. But a lot of people overlook him when they're talking about important people from that time frame in wrestling. I think Kurt Angle is very important, but always gets overlooked. Then we've got Chris, who's the older member of the band, and I chose Undertaker. He's a very, very important part of WWF back in the day and their success. Chris Kirkpatrick, you need him, and he's the older, wiser member of the band. Okay. Then let's go to WCW side, which would be my Backstreet Boys. We've got Brian, who's the lead vocalist, and that would be Sting, because he's kind of like the pillar of WCW, very important, and you could do any incarnation of Sting and it would work. You could do, you know, the Beach Sting or the Crow Sting. Doesn't matter. He's the lead vocalist. He's the lead wrestler in my Backstreet wrestler band. Then we've got 
this is my Hollywood Blondes thing. Now, the timing doesn't work out because you've got Stone Cold on the other side <laughs> as right, Stone Cold. Obviously. And it wouldn't work out with the timing with Pillman, but I'm still going to do it anyway. So then Brian Pillman would be Nick, the heartthrob, because at the Hollywood Blonde, he kind of did look like a heartthrob. And he was a great wrestler, too. Then we've got the bad boy, AJ, much to your chagrin, Steiner. Yeah. Big Papa Pump. Yes. There you go. He's, yeah, you know, he's, he's got freaks. Because he screams boy band. Uh, he screams something. Yeah. I don't know what he screams, but he definitely wants <laughs> some kind of inclusion because he's entertaining. Whether or not you like him, he's entertaining. Then we've got the underrated member of the band, Howie. I would make it DDP because he was such a big part of WCW and their success. And then finally, Kevin, the old backbone, the pillar of the band, uh, Ric Flair. Well, the only one I would add is on that last one, I think it should be Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Because he, he was old. He used to pretend to play the guitar when he came to the ring. Yeah. So, so kind of like your Tanahashi and kind of bringing the whole first segment together of Hulk Hogan and Tanahashi being compared to each other. They both played air guitar. There you go. <laughs> there you go. I loved it. Loved it. Loved it. This was one of the most fun segments ever. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for bearing with me with my extensive explanations but all in good fun hope you enjoyed it and if you didn't get a chance to turn your answers in tweet them at us at twofacedpod and when we come back we will get more interaction with you as it's time for ask two-faced our awesome wrestling logo is by artist eric hodson you could check him out at erichodson.storeenvy.com where he has tons of other wrestling artwork he really is an incredible artist his twitter handle is at Dreaded Dinosaur, which is named after his comic series, The Dreaded Dinosaur Man, which you can find on webtoons.com. Just search for The Dreaded Dinosaur Man, and you can read it for free. Thanks, Eric. We really love your logo. Welcome back to Two-Faced Wrestling Talk, and now it's time for one of our favorite segments where we get a lot of interaction with you guys, the listeners and viewers at home. It's time for our question and answer segment, Ask Two-Faced. To start with our friend at Deej Kirkby, who asks, "How was how bad was the All In Hangover for you?" Now he was asking that, and I kind of said, "Well, it was kind of an All In Hangover in two ways. One, it was such a great wrestling show that no other wrestling shows seemed to be as good. So you kind of had a hangover of good wrestling. Like, how could anything ever measure up to that show?" But the second type of hangover was an actual hangover because he saw this video of me dancing that you put out on social media for everyone to see. <laughs> and we'll put it again right here in the show. Take a look at Kelsey at the after party dancing to Downstate. So that was me dancing ridiculous. I had four beers that night, which sounds like nothing. But to me, it was a ton of beers. So I'm sitting here. The next day, I did not feel good at all. That was the day I interviewed David Lagana. I was feeling terrible. So my literal hangover was pretty bad. I never have four beers. I went crazy at the all-in after party. Nobody was dancing, though. That was my reasoning. <laughs> Everyone was, like, so serious and stuff. And I thought the band should have some support. So Chad and Diesel from View from the Top Rope, you guys should check them out at View from Top Rope. They were with us the whole night. I thought my hangover was bad. So meanwhile, our friend Chad had flipping 12 beers 
or at least I thought it was 12, he texted and told me it was actually 16 <laughs> beers at the show and more later without a hangover the next day. And I can attest, I saw him drink all these beers and he was not affected at all. It was crazy. Well, let's put it this way. I, I think I got tired from standing up and letting him go by to go buy more beers. Yeah. <laughs> it seemed like it was every 10 minutes. So he was making fun of me because he was with us at the after party, him and Diesel. And they said, Diesel said that I almost danced into Tanel Dashwood like two times. Yeah, I guess you can kind of see that in the video that we just showed so obviously you've got to watch on youtube in, in addition to listening to us um but you also hear me talking to chucky e. t and trent beretta because they come and stand right next to me and they're watching you hopping around like oh a God. lunatic and i'm trying to get them to kind of go in on either side of you to kind of surprise you because you didn't see them at first but then i did see them and i just stared at them like what are you looking <laughs> but, at but Ch <laughs> so Ch chucky e. t just looked at me and said no way, dude. I, I'll get hit. <laughs> yeah, he thought I was going to, like, bang him in the face with my hand or something. So. But that's funny because we just talked about them being in our boy band, or at least my version of my boy band for Backstreet Boys. Awesome. Now, the second part of the All In Hangover was from a wrestling perspective, and we said it last week, being at Raw, it was such a huge letdown God, after yeah. just being at All In. Uh, luckily, the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view kind of brought us back. That was our... Uh, our uh, magic elixir the next morning kind of thing because at least that brought us back so did the new japan yeah. shows this weekend but uh being at that raw as we said last week it was so bad after being at all God, in. yeah so good question and now Deej kirkby has a second question but it's an actual serious one this time who do you think will join bullet club firing squad during the current recruitment drive um well it depends on if they want to go with more another uh, high flyer type or if they want more muscle and if they want more muscle, I think a, a good guy to be a part of a group like them uh, would be Michael Elgin. I'd oh, like yeah. to see Michael Elgin in that group. Yeah. Michael Elgin would be a great choice. Somebody who was really prominent in new Japan for a while, but this would bring him back into prominence a little bit. I know he's done some things here and there, but this would really launch him back into people's conversations about yeah. new japan and great wrestlers and stuff however i'm going to go with somebody who people keep speculating is going to go to new japan or ring of honor neville how great would it be to have him join the firing squad because everyone wants him to join bullet club let's have him join the less joint faction part of bullet club the firing squad and we know neville is great as a heel so kind of feed into that heelish nature feed into that heelish character and join the firing squad i want to see that i like that all right, now we go to our good friend Jody at Jody A D L E. Everyone's burning question: Did you like the color of the cell at Hell in a Cell? I love the color of of Hell in a Cell, uh, the cell. However, if I had been in the crowd, I would have been furious because you could tell on the wide shots it was hard to see into the ring. So if you were in that crowd and those two, now maybe maybe on TV it looked worse than it actually was, but to me it looked like. That would have been one of those things where you spent half the match looking up at the video board because you couldn't see what was going on in the ring. I could totally see that happening, and that would be unfortunate, and I would have hated that too if I was there in person. But at home, I loved it. I loved the contrast. I loved how it stood out because a lot of wrestlers wear black, so it was a very nice contrast while you were looking through. Just gives us something different for your eye to focus on. Also, I loved the graphics. They incorporated the cell and that it was a red cell into the graphics, like for people's names, for any kind of promotions they were doing on their lower thirds. Loved the way that looked, thought it was well done. And overall, I thought it was kind of cool. And, you know, what's the harm in spicing things up every now and then? I agree. 
but not at the expense of the paying customers. Well, so. that's true. So, I don't know. I haven't read anything about people no, having a hard time, but no, not like like we've heard it like WrestleMania for some of the stage setups yeah. where people had obstructive views and things like that. Uh, next one is from at metal underscore two thousand six. When Champa finally gets the call up to the main roster, which brand does he go to, and who is his first feud? Well, I think he should be called up to SmackDown because I think that's where the better wrestling is right now. And I know this is going to sound crazy because I want him to go into high caliber feuds right away. So you might be thinking like, no, put him in feuds with lower card guys and let him work his way up. I want to see him go straight after Samoa Joe and then shortly thereafter AJ Styles or, or, you know, it could be reversed depending on who's champion. So first go after whoever isn't champion and then go after the actual champion. And I think that'll be a great way to cement him as a main event guy because he should be a main event guy. He's one of the best heels they have right now. And those programs would be amazing. I'd like to say I, I, I wanted to say something different, but those those were exactly my choices as well. Uh, I think right off the bat, uh, uh, Champa, AJ Styles feud would be tremendous. So I think SmackDown's the direction. Same thing though. If, they get, if he gets the call up, use him. Use him. Please use him. use him. He's one of the best people you have on the whole roster, especially one of the best pure heels you have. In a day and age where there really isn't such a thing as heels anymore. In fact, Cody Rhodes said recently he believes there aren't any true heels or faces anymore. It doesn't even matter, he says. He tweeted that recently. I kind of disagree. I do think there's still faces and heels, but they are becoming more rare. There's a lot bigger of a gray area and more people who are in that gray area. So, yeah. Chompa's one of those people who really, he's a heel, and a true heel at that. Great question. Now we're going to move on to at Mr. Dose 2. Will Chris Jericho win the Crown Jewel Tournament? Well, I don't even know if he's been announced to be in the tournament or not. And I would love to see him be in the tournament because that'd be kind of unique. He's holding the IWGP Intercontinental Championship right now. How crazy would that be to have him have that and be a part of that tournament and then win it on top of that? But I wouldn't bet on it for some reason. I don't have a feeling he's going to win it or even be in it. I would love to see him in it. And I like the idea of the tournament. Um, But I I said this on the show uh, a couple months ago. I think WWE has been lacking not having a King of the Ring or something like that that could incorporate house shows and stuff like that. I'm not sure I like it as a one-night event. Yeah. Um, I would like them to to follow the New Japan pattern of having some sort of an extended tournament, you know, in in that period between SummerSlam and Survivor Series. You know, just something to spice up. I guess now we're going to have the two four uh, overseas shows. But, um, yeah, I, 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 I would like to see Jericho in a tournament like that. So, so this one's got a two-parter, our next question. And the first part of the question for you, Paul, and this comes from at the Mad Attack UK, what matches from the current card for Super Showdown in Melbourne, Australia, are you most looking forward to and least looking forward to? Well, it can kind of be the same answer. I'm looking forward to The Undertaker versus Triple H, but I'm also a little leery of it, given what we've seen from Undertaker the last couple appearances. So um, right now, I, I don't know what to make of that match. I'm hoping Undertaker is really kind of kind of be dedicated for that. But the answer for the one I'm most looking forward to is the same answer for the last two pay-per-views. 
AJ versus Samoa Joe. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you on both of your statements. So yeah, I'm in total agreement. So now the question for you, uh, Kelsey, I, you love recasting TV shows with wrestlers, so I've got a juicy one for you. Recast the series Full House with wrestlers. Bonus points if you can recast the follow-up series Fuller House with wrestlers instead. And yes, this, this is deliberately to annoy Graham on our show as he doesn't like these shows. Well, good for Graham. <laughs> I, I'm not a huge Full House fan either, to tell you the truth. And I did not recast Fuller House before I give my answer. I only did Full House but it was fun, and uh, I think my answers are pretty good. All right, so first, of course, Bob Saget, Danny Tanner. It's going to be Titus O'Neil because he just seems like he'd be the perfect TV sitcom dad. I don't know. I just see it perfectly. He's kind of like the head of the Titus O'Neil faction anyway. What is that called again? Titus World or Titus Worldwide. Oh, yeah, Titus Worldwide. <laughs> well, plus he's legitimately... A dad of the year. Yeah, gets father of the year awards. So. Yep. So that is literally the perfect choice. I don't think anyone could argue <laughs> against that casting there. Then we've got Uncle Jesse. And, of course, he was the musician in Full House. And that would be Elias, obvious for obvious reasons. A lot of people picked Elias for their boy bands. I don't think he'd really work in a boy band, but I do think he'd work as the corny Uncle Jesse. Um, and, you know, everyone loves Uncle Jesse. And people secretly love Elias, so that works too. Then Uncle Joey, the corny comedian who was known for doing voices, Yanu. Yeah. Come no, on, it's uh, perfect. No, I agree. I agree. Eh, eh, eh. He makes weird noises. <laughs> he just doesn't like do voice impersonations, just makes weird sounds. I don't know if he does how to do cut it out, but <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. Uh, if it ever gets made, we'll see how he does it. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So then the three kids, DJ, Stephanie, and Michelle. I've got DJ and Stephanie as Matt and Nick Jackson, of course, because they're brothers. And then Michelle, the littlest one, who was played by twins in Full House. You know, the Olsen twins played her. So the boys, Dalton Castle's boys would play Michelle Tanner. There you but, go. But, you know, obviously they're boy versions, but it would still work. Yeah, that works. There we go. That's my Full House although, wrestling style. Although if you're going to put females in... And it would be full houses in. They sold out the like you know they sold out a show. Right. It's a full house. There you go. There you go. I, w- I would say the since they're not really twins, but they're very similar. Your Michelle could be the Iconics. I guess so. That's true. <laughs> but also, I had the Briscoes, even though they're not twins. And I even had before I was starting to think like actual wrestlers. I was thinking of Earl and Dave Hebner. Oh. It's so random. Like how could he? He's they're so old. How could they be the children of Titus O'Neil? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know. But I scratched it and you know went with the boys instead. All right. Next one is from Ad View from Top Rope. If Tanahashi is really starting his own faction with young guys to mold and make them better, what four future stars do you think he should recruit? Well, I've got a two-tier answer. I've got people within New Japan already and then outside of New Japan, like not even rumored to go to New Japan. So I'm going to do two. My first set of people that I would like him to recruit, Beretta, because I think Trent is not utilized the best that he can be right now. And I feel like Tanahashi could take him and be like, we're going to make you like a real high-tier main event player. And that's what we could use to transition Beretta from a tag team guy, which he's like stuck being to like a true heavyweight singles wrestler, which they've teased that he's made that transition, but he really truly hasn't. No, definitely not. Then Juice, 
because he's not really associated with a faction besides Taguchi Japan, which really isn't a true faction anyway. I think Juice could even rise higher on the roster by being associated with Tanahashi. Then, um, and I might be pronouncing it wrong, but Hanare, who's that guy who, you know, he dresses with the, like, loincloth-looking thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that he it could be more prominent, and Tanahashi would be the perfect person to make him do better on the roster, of course. And then one of the young Lions who has a pretty bright future and he's jacked to hell Kitamaru and I'm probably saying it wrong but I say everything wrong so excuse me I'll blame it on the Cajun accent (laughs) then we got my non-New Japan pro wrestling roster who I think would be great as a part of Tanahashi's faction David Starr Speedball Mike Bailey Brian Pillman Jr. and Jeff Cobb like it I would love it actually if there was this whole story about Osprey like because Osprey is so closely related to Okada, and now that Okada and Tanahashi are about to have this match, how cool if they had the time, obviously this is total dream stuff, if they did this whole thing about a falling out between Osprey and Okada, and where Tanahashi kind of seduces him to join his side, and then we can get, like, true feuds between Osprey and Okada, and then, basically, Osprey's alliance with Tanahashi, that would be really neat. That's just something that's totally far-fetched, but, I don't know, I love the idea of it. Uh, next one is from at wrestling two underscore O. What companies in the future do you see falling under the NWA banner? Well, it's important to note that I think that no companies are falling under the banner like it used to be. Right. It's not the same. Right now, how it's being operated is more like just like a traveling champion, that's the same, but it's more so companies and promotions working with the NWA and cooperating and allowing these matches to happen. And sometimes it's through that person's television deal. Like in Ring of Honor's case, at their TV tapings, Cody's going to defend his NWA title against Willie Mack. That's happening on the television taping. So that's with the cooperation of Ring of Honor. So I think that a lot of companies will cooperate with the NWA, almost all of them. Um... But the big question is, will WWE? Because Cody has said he wants to defend the championship on Raw. He'd love to face Randy Orton. That would be so cool. But I don't know if I see that happening. We'll have to see. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think any of the companies seem like they would be open to having the NWA champion in there. So I, I, I don't see, other than WWE slash NXT, and I think that would be even... To me, that would almost be as exciting as if he showed up on NXT yeah. and went up against Tommaso Ciampa or somebody like wow, that. Yeah. that. That would be great. Okay, so our next question, <clears throat> at Z-A-C-S-H-I-130, was it a mistake to have Minoru Suzuki or any Japanese talent hold non-Japan gold if they're not making regular defenses? Should champions be stripped of their gold if they don't defend said title or championship? Well, I'll look at it this way. It's not unlike the Brock Lesnar thing in that, you know, how much can you tolerate the champions not being around? You know, is it once every couple months? Is it a six-month stretch where they're not defending? I think that's the big question. If if they're around fairly regularly, I don't think that it is a mistake. Me neither. I think it brings more eyes that are outside of your promotion into the product, and I love Suzuki holding a Rev Pro belt, so I think that's not a mistake at all. Um, and like you said, I agree with you 100%. It really just depends on how long between the defenses. Like Brock Lesnar, that was getting absurd. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, but in other cases, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Like Suzuki goes over to England pretty regularly for Rev Pro, so I'm not against that at all. Yeah. 
And then finally, he asked Jay Lethal, will he be ROH World Champ come final battle? And that's in December. I don't see why not. Uh, I think, I mean, first of all, that's not that far off. And second of all, I, I like him with the belt for a while. I like him with the belt for a while, too. And, um, you know, his title defense coming up, we talked about it earlier, against Osprey. I think it's going to be lethal. Yeah, probably. Yeah, because, I mean, Osprey's not even a part of Ring of Honor. No. I'm not saying that means that he cannot win it at all, because he won his first title when he, when he wasn't with the company either, and he held it for, like, a night. And that was with his debut match in Ring of Honor. But, yeah, I don't see why lethal would lose it before then. It really doesn't feel like it's that far away, even. No, definitely not. But I could be wrong. We'll see. Great question. And now we move on to our last question. This is from at Dave Pazewski. What do you think would be the best future for NWA? If Cody wins in the rematch and holds on to the belt for a while, or if Nick wins it, is able to say that he is the rightful holder of the belt? And follow up, if Nick loses, who do you see as future challengers? This is a difficult question, and most people might be saying, why do you think this is such a difficult question? Don't you just think that Cody should win flat out, no questions asked? Easy answer. No, no, no. I actually like what they've done with Nick Aldis. They've made him into somebody you actually care about. And, of course, that's through the great storytelling and video packages. And almost like you could call them more than video packages, almost like mini documentaries. That is their build because they don't have TV. And that's all happening on NWA's YouTube channel on their series, 10 Pounds of Gold. It's been done so well. It's masterfully laid out. And I think Aldous is a bigger player in all of this than we're giving him credit for. Having said that, I do think overall it'd be great if Cody retains his title and holds it for a little bit longer. I don't want to see him just lose it right away. But who knows? Because what does his Ring of Honor contract have to do with all of this? How is that going to work? Is this just a short-term thing because of the whole contract situation or not? Um, I do want to see Aldis still involved with NWA, which he obviously is. Lagana told me in our interview that he is contracted with NWA. He's one of the few people who are like associated with them exclusively. And um, I don't know. I really don't see how this is going to play out. But I do kind of want Cody to have it for a while because I think he'll bring a lot of outside eyes into the NWA. Yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing... Uh maybe even extending it a little longer uh, in the 70th anniversary show, maybe get a no, no result, a double count out, something like that, so yeah. that you can extend the feud a little longer. Cody keeps the belt a little longer, but then maybe have Nick Aldis take it back some point. So you get the benefit of Cody keeping the belt for a while, but you keep Aldis involved and eventually maybe give him the belt back. And it's important to note, NWA is bringing back more titles. Like, they're going to bring back the national title at the NWA 70th anniversary show. So having said that, maybe Aldis will challenge for one of the other belts in the future if this does go to, like, you know, uh, a no contest or whatever. We'll have to see, but uh, I think that could be a real possibility. and That's something we have to keep in mind. And that's our last question. So thanks for all your questions, and we remind you to use the hashtag AskTwoFaced, and we'll use more of your questions next week. Also tweet us at TwoFacedPod. Right, right. So, And now it's time to close out the show and send them home. Kelsey, what are you sending everybody home with? Well, I teased it in the beginning of the show. I'm wearing a Briscoe's shirt, and that's kind of important because they just surpassed a thousand days as tag team champs. Now that's collectively over all their title reigns, which by the way, this is their ninth tag team title reign. That is so impressive when you think of what they've done and who they've faced. The tag teams 
the great tag teams like Motor City Machine Guns, the Young Bucks, so many more. Even going back to uh, El Generico and Kevin Steen, a.k.a. Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. When you've got prominent names like that, that's some impressive numbers right there. And they first won the titles back in 2003, so I had to rep them boys, the Briscoes, man up. <laughs> Those are my boys. I love them so much. There's more information. There's a great article about that at WrestlingInc.com. Also, ROHWrestling.com. They have a whole big article with even more stats than I already just rattled off. And also, I want to quickly talk about something we haven't talked about in quite a while, PWG. Bola just recently happened. You know, Jeff Cobb had a great showing. We just ordered the DVDs recently, so look out. We will be talking more about that later. We're due for a PWG marathon, and I ordered a couple of DVDs. I'm very excited to get in the mail. Yeah, it's been a little while. We really haven't watched, I think, since the show we were at, right? Maybe right. one DVD after that, maybe? Not even a whole one. I don't even think we finished the yeah, one after so, that. So definitely looking forward to that. Uh, I'm going to send them home with something uh, real brief here. Uh, I've talked about it multiple times on this show that 205 Live just didn't have a chance after SmackDown. Uh, it certainly didn't uh, with the live audience, but I think even on TV, I want to give kudos to WWE for what they've done with their Wednesday night. And it's from a programming sense, it's really good because now you have 205 Live, NXT, and the Mae Young Classic. So three hours of different types of competition. So it's not just three hours of wrestling. It's, you know, you got your, your cruiserweights. Then you've got, you know, all things in NXT. And then you've got this great women's tournament. So WWE, I think, has done 205 Live a favor by getting it away from Tuesday night. We'll see uh, how it translates with people watching and maybe gets more buzz about 205 Live. But kudos to them. Yep. And great. Great sending them home, so kudos to you. Yeah, okay. And kudos, kudos to you guys watching at home. We really appreciate you giving us your time, taking the time to listen to us and or watch us if you're watching us on YouTube. One last quick plug. We want to remind you, you can check us out on twofacepod.com. That's how you can find the different platforms you can view or listen to us on. And tweet at us at twofacepod on Twitter. Thanks so much for watching and or listening. That's the finish. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, 
you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.